We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. And if you've been following along with us in the gospel of Matthew, boy, uh, is Jesus facing some opposition now. You know, it started out with um, him showing that he is the king. He has a kingly lineage and we see the works that he's done. And you see people responding to the miraculous works that Jesus is doing. He's healing people who have had no hope in their whole life until Jesus shows up. The demon possessed, um, the ones that are blind, that are lame, the ones that can't speak. He is reaching out and touching people and he is loving people and there is no denying. And this is so clear. There's no denying that Jesus is doing the things that he's doing. But the problem is there's a group of people that feel threatened by what Jesus is doing. And they happen to be the religious leaders. Specifically, we will see the Pharisees, but the Sadducees were also in this group here. The Pharisees saw their power starting to slip away because people were looking more to Jesus and less to them. And we really get to see that they didn't really care about people. They cared about their own position and power. And so this opposition to Jesus is continuing on and on. And now Jesus starts to step away from them, but they keep coming after him. And they come after him and we'll find ourselves in Matthew chapter 12. We'll look at uh, just a handful of verses, maybe five or six verses today. Matthew 12, 33 through 37. And um, as we look at this, this, Jesus calls them out on some poor logic. Last week, they accused Jesus of using the power of Satan to cast out demons. I mean, they ran out of things to say for Jesus. So they're like, well, he's using, okay, we can't deny that he's actually doing these amazing things, but he's doing it by the power of uh, uh, Beelzebub, Satan. And Jesus just takes him on a, a logical progression here of, if that's the case, then what about this? If that's the case, then what about this? If that's the case, then what about this? And then Jesus says that there is an unforgivable sin. And last week we talked about it. Unforgivable sin, what is that? That's denying who Jesus is. If you deny who Jesus is, you can't be forgiven of that. If you say, God, I don't want anything to do with you or your son or anything of that. Well, God's not going to drag you to heaven. So that is the unforgivable sin. Wait, so when can a person make a decision for Christ? As long as you have breath. As long as you have breath, you can make a decision. Well, I've I've said things against God and I've even worked against God's plans and God's work in this world. I've discouraged other Christians. I've done all that stuff in my past. I've probably gone to the point of no return. If you're still alive, you can always call out to Jesus. And here's the best part. He will always respond to you. If you call out to him with a heart that just says, God, I need you. Jesus, I need you to be my savior. He will respond to you. So with that huge statement being made, Jesus continues to now speak to the Pharisees. And so we're going to pray. We're going to jump right into verse 33. Um, Father, we come before you thankful for your word and thankful that it's open to us. We're thankful that you have provided for us a way to know what is right and what is wrong. And we thank you that you've given us an amazing tool that allows us to look within ourselves, not just in a medical way, but in a spiritual way to look at our heart. We pray today as your word is being read, we know this to be true, that your word is reading us. And as we read your word and your word reads us, we would understand what you're saying to us, God, through your word. Give us deeper insight on ourselves so that we might walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's start with the first verse here. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Jesus addressing these Pharisees. Um, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. Just a statement there. It's kind of the statement. Pick a side already. Pick a side. Don't act like you're loving God while you actually aren't. Or the other flip side of it, if you really love God, stop trying to be like the world. Pick a side. Either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. Reminds me of a verse in Revelation where God says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. So I spit you out of my mouth. God's saying, Be clear as to where you stand. Be consistent 
as how you live. Now, the illustration he uses is one that I think anyone could understand. I mean, if we saw a tree and you looked at it, you could tell if it's a fruit tree, you could tell what kind of a fruit tree it is. Uh, it's a lot easier at a certain time than at other times. What I mean by that is like, um, let's say that you saw, you know, just a tree and you're going, what kind of tree is that? If you weren't really up to, you know, knowing, you would probably go, I'm maybe struggling a little bit. That could be an apple tree or maybe, a, I don't know, a pear tree or a lemon tree or I don't know exactly. How do you know what a tree is when the fruit shows up? And when the fruit shows up, it's really clear to tell what kind of a tree that is. Now, some will go, hey, don't judge me, man. I'm not judging. I'm just kind of looking with my eyes. If I see an apple on, an, on a tree, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually make this statement. I'm pretty sure that's an apple tree. I mean, if the tree, if the tree talked, that'd be weird. But if the tree was like, dude, don't judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm just making an observation. You see apples on a tree. It's an apple tree. You know, if you see this palm tree, you may go, okay, that's great. It's a palm tree. When we lived in Arizona, you'd go down to the valley and you'd see palm trees everywhere. But if you saw this type of a tree, look at this tree, you'd go, oh, that's a date palm. Those are dates. I've never seen dates on a palm tree before, like actually seen them. That's crazy. Like a palm tree with those things, like bundles. It's like God's like, here you go. Here's, I've given you a couple thousand in a bundle. Here you go. You can just take those. And then they, they just, I mean, it's amazing how God designed them and then dry them out. And there's your dates. You know, so you can look at that and go, well, no, no, that's an apple tree. That is not an, that's not an apple tree. I don't care. I, and again, if the tree talked, it'd be really weird. But if the tree is like, I'm an apple tree. And you could say that all you want, but you are not. Let's look at another one here. This one here, I'm going to have to look at this one. Okay, this one, this is crazy. This fruit grows on the trunk of the tree. I'm a little freaked out by this, honestly. I kind of look at it, I was like, ah. Like if I was walking through the forest or something and I saw that, I'd be like, is that going to like jump off the tree and like land on me? And like, I don't know. Like, I'm not quite there. This is uh, the Jabutacaba. Jabutacaba. And so south from South America. But uh, yeah, I was, uh, you know, you prepare for studies. You find some pretty interesting stuff. That, I was like, ah, oh, how about that? So again, I'm an orange tree. I don't care what you say. You're not. Here's another one. If you're like, oh yeah, that's an orange tree. And then that starts showing up and you may be like, what is that? Those are star fruit. That's not a cherry tree. Doesn't matter how much it says it would be or you would think it would be. The evidence is by the fruit. And so Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, your fruit's showing. Careful, your fruit's showing. And the problem is what you're saying and what you are are not matching up. And Jesus takes issue with that. And then Jesus is going to make mm, a subtle statement. Here it is, verse 34. You brood of vipers. <laughs> not subtle at all. How can you speak good when you are... Ooh, wow. Is he going to go there? Yes, he is. Evil. For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Wow. Jesus didn't hold back there. In case they missed the fruit analogy, he then goes right to the fact of your speech says one thing, but you in your heart are evil. Oh, well, who's to say? God can say. God can say. You know, we have to watch ourselves if we start to look at a person and go, well, I know what's in your heart. Well, okay, whew, take, take a step back. I, I wouldn't, well, Jesus did it, so I'm going to go right out there. Yet yeah, Jesus is God in the flesh. That being said, well, Jim, if I see the fruit on somebody's life, you can go, okay, I'm, I see some things, but I don't know that you necessarily should um, start pointing at people and calling them evil. It's not really... Um, Jesus is going to have a way of doing this here. I don't know for you and I, if we use that approach, that would be the most received approach. But Jesus, as he's sharing this with these religious leaders, it's definitely striking a chord. We actually see the issue. The issue is a heart issue. It's an evil heart issue. And then Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, this is an important thing. What we say to Jesus actually matters. 
Oh, he's God. He can handle it. So that would say that he then is not hurt by our words. The words we speak against him, oh, he's God. He just brushes it off. Do you realize that Jesus has feelings? That the words we speak against him hurt him. They don't make him any less powerful or omniscient or any of that stuff, but they hurt him. And that breaks my heart when I think about the number of times that I've hurt Jesus by the things that I've said to him and to other people. Words actually matter. Oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter what I say. It really does matter what you say. It really does matter what you say, especially that they match up with the way you act. You know, um, you could say, you know, the mouth, the out of the overflow, the uh, outflowing of your heart. It's really important. You know, the statement sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will, ne- words will never hurt me is not true. It's not true. I bet you that's, that right here, you can remember words. You can remember words that were spoken to you years, maybe decades ago that were hurtful. That you, you can, you can, it almost takes you back. The fact that I just mentioned this, if you were to stop and consider it, you would, in a sense, travel back in time in your mind and go, yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, words don't hurt. Words absolutely do. They have that words are so powerful. You and I have such a, a amazing ability to hurt people by what we say. At the same time, we have a powerful ability to bless people by what we say. I still remember some encouraging words that were told to me decades ago in my life. At a just the right time when I was really struggling and I just thought, okay, here you go. Here's somebody that's going to come up and go, told you so. And instead they came up and said, you know what? God's not done with you. And I, was, I totally was like, I deserve I told you so. <laughs> Everybody else is kind of saying it to me. You can say it to me too. I'm ready. Go ahead. It's going to hurt, but it's fine. Go ahead. You can just hit me. It's fine. Just hit me with it. Just tell me you told me so. Tell me what a dummy I was for doing this. How, how stupid I was and I should have seen this ahead of time. Go ahead and tell me. I already know it. And instead to receive words of grace and words of encouragement. It was like a cup of cold water to a dry and thirsty soul. We have an amazing ability to bless people by the words that we speak. And, and you look at this in verse 34, after the brood of vipers and, you know, how can you speak good when you're evil? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you know, the picture on your bulletin on the screens, it's a picture of a well. It's actually a picture of a well in India, in the same state that my parents are from. And the crazy thing is it reminds me of the well that my grandparents had. And so I would go to India a couple times uh, when I was a child. And I always appreciated those trips. But I remember that well because it just blew me away. Because again, I was born in Queens, New York. We didn't have any wells in Queens, New York. You turn on the tap and the water, there's water there, right? So all of a sudden, you know, for my grandma to be like, yeah, you need to go get some water from the well because she was cooking. She needed to get some water. I'm like, it's so awesome. I'm like, there's the rope and the pulley. And I'm like, yeah, get the water. And then be like, and unfortunately, I didn't realize there wasn't a knot tied on the end of it. Because most people don't just let it go like that. But I did. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Needless to say, the, the, the American grandson was given much grace by grandma and grandpa. And they just kind of laughed it off. And then they had some person climb down into the well to go get it. Because there are well cleaners. And their job go down into wells and they clean out wells or they grab the rope when kids from America come and drop them in there. So, but I just remember like, it was just so cool. Like for me to go like, I just when I was really young, I remember asking my mom, like who put the water there? Like where, do, how do you fill this up? You know, and then it was right around monsoon time and then, and sure enough, I watched it fill up after a month of it raining or so you'd go, that thing's almost full to the top. It's pretty amazing to see. And it's like, God fills it up. Oh. You know, the, when the Bible says here, when Jesus speaks, you're out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The word abundance is the word overflow. In other words, your heart contains something. And your mouth is simply the overflow of what's in your heart. Oh, I didn't mean to say what I just said. Actually, yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, it spills out. It spills out. And whatever is within your heart, eventually show up in how you speak. And so 
We well, okay, okay. That means I have to really watch my words.、Mm, no, that's actually not what. That's not the primary point of this message. The primary point of this message is not you should watch. You should、um, try to watch your words so you could.、Change. That's not the primary point of this message. I'll get to that in just a moment. You know, these words. Augustine said this: words are those precious cups of meaning. Words are those precious cups of meaning. Words mean something. They matter. And when we share things, we have to be careful what we share and how we share them. Now, I think we can agree that words change their meaning over time. Sometimes a word that means something doesn't always mean something else. I want to show you this、uh, cathedral. This is Saint Paul's Cathedral. In、um, I actually don't even have to show you a picture. But we're going to show it to you because I mean it's pretty much like Telios. You kind of if you've seen Telios, you've seen Saint Paul's. It's about the same. You know, spacious, open air kind of a thing. It's all the same. I don't even know why I showed you screens, but. Saint Paul's Cathedral here was built in 1675. Sir Christopher Wren、uh, started, put the cornerstone down, and started Saint Paul,、uh, Paul's Cathedral. And then, oh, 35 years later, he presented it to Queen Anne, and Queen Anne had this evaluation of Saint Paul's Cathedral. By the way, it's been burned down and destroyed multiple times, like more than two or three times in its history, but. But when Queen Anne saw it, she said this about it: "Hmm, artificial, amusing, awful." Oh, like she just like thirty-five years. Artificial, amusing, awful. Sir Christopher Wren, when he heard that, you could imagine he was beaming. He was excited. He was so grateful. Here's why. Artificial. The word means full of art. Amusing. It means amazing. Awful. Full of awe. Awe-inspiring. That's what it meant. So when Queen Anne said artificial, amusing, and awful, here's what Sir Christopher Wren heard: It's artful. It's amazing, and it is awe-inspiring. Words are interesting. Because words can change their meaning in history, they can also change their meaning in context. If you're at a barbecue and you say fire, all right. If you're at a movie theater and you say fire, probably a little different response. So the words you speak, you might speak the exact same words, but depending on where you are, they may not be the appropriate word. And we have to be mindful of that. That we don't get stuck in setting ourselves with just these phrases that we use, and we use them in every situation, not mindful of the situation. And so it's very important that we go, God, what would be the right word to speak in this situation and in this way? You know,、um, uh, Jesus spoke about this、uh, earlier. We talked about false prophets in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus brought this up. We'll look at this. Matthew chapter seven, verse fifteen through twenty. Fifteen、uh, through twenty. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's that duplicitous nature. Verse sixteen: You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their Fruits, and so using this illustration here, you know, there's citrus fruits and other、uh, other types of fruits that are cultivated. They're actually cultivated and crossbreed, breeded so that they can make a more flavorful, more bountiful, more um, um, resistant type of a crop. And so this type of cultivating is important. But let's say you end up with with one line of a tree, and you just go, the fruit on that one didn't turn out good. Are you going to bring that in and use it as you cultivate? Probably not. That's probably the one where you go, that tree that didn't work out. That's not developing a fruitful, flavorful, rich fruit. So we won't use that as we move forward. Jesus is using that kind of a thing where he's going, well, what that what would that tree be used for? That one would be cut down and would be thrown into the refuse fire to be burned. We see this throughout our world.、Uh, farmers would do things like this. Here's a picture from India. Every year, late September through October, farmers、um, in northern India in Punjab set their paddy fields on fire after they're done harvesting, and that's how they dispose of their straw and stubble. And they do it so that they can turn it around. The problem is you end up with oh, 
hundreds of thousands of farms that are doing this and the pollution levels are unbearable in northern India between September and October. It's really, really bad. But this is not an uncommon practice. So this idea then that Jesus is speaking of, of burning these unfruitful trees, they would have all understood what he meant. But Jesus is not talking about trees. Jesus is talking about, hey, what use are you if you are not going to bear good fruit in this life? your life if you're not willing to bear good fruit for God? What's the goal of your life then? And so with the uh, parable, he tells us an earthly story with a spiritual truth. Look at this. This is what you and I should be. This is a picture for us in Psalm 1-3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water and it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And that was, sorry, Psalm 1-3. And it's this idea of a tree that is a beautiful tree, but it's because of where that tree is planted. Planted by a stream of water. Well, who's that water? Well, that's God himself and God and his word. So, you know, we saw this whole idea. And now, you know, of course, in Matthew 12-34, we saw you brood of vipers. Interesting thing. I think we'll show this picture here. If it's a little too, makes you queasy, you don't have to look. But here it is. I think we might have it. Yes, we do. That's okay. It'll come up here. Yeah, I mean, if you kind of look at that. I remember seeing Indiana Jones. And I was just like, (laughs) and uh, Jesus is saying, he's making this assessment of those religious leaders. You're a brood of vipers. The interesting thing is when those crops are being burned in those fields and what ends up happening is those vipers that are hanging out in the field, when the fires come, you know what they do? They suddenly show up and they start moving fast. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that that illustration that Jesus is talking about, how when Jesus comes and he reveals the truth, all of a sudden, oh, look at all these snakes that have shown up and now they're slithering away. Jesus saying, you brood of vipers. Okay, that's enough of that. We don't have to freak out people anymore. We're good. Um, you know, uh, some of those words that can hurt for a lifetime, you know, maybe for a child that hears their parent and overhears them, parent, didn't, you know, not realizing that, that their child is nearby going, yeah, I just, uh, you know, just can't believe that mistake that I made in the past. And for a child to hear those words and go, wait, I think I'm the mistake they're talking about. You think that's not going to stick with you for the rest of your life? You know, we just have such an, uh, you know, the tongue is such a small part of our body, but it can affect so much. So much blessing could come from it, but so much cursing can come from it. So much destruction can come from it. I I read this, um, this uh, testimony by a person that talked about words, and he's a very successful person. Um, he was in the military and he heard he someone in the military had spoken to him and basically told him he remembered these words. If you were in the civilian world, I would never hire you. And he remembered those words. And for them, they had an impact. So when he got out of the military, this is this is what he said. He said, I felt like I had to live with a perpetual chip on my shoulder. I wish I could move forward psychologically and reconcile with this person. I want to let him know that I succeeded in the civilian world. At times, I wish to bring pain to his life, but I realize how futile that line of thinking is. Reconciliation is better than revenge. And then he goes on and says, Honestly, I feel that many successful people in the world today are emotionally wounded human beings that feel like they have something to prove. I also wish to let those people know that no amount of success will solve that pain. Aim for reconciliation. You know, sometimes there's this feeling of, well, I'm just going to take the the hurtful words that people use and I'm going to use them as fuel. Don't make that the habit of your life because then you're always going to be looking for hurtful words. Then you're not trained to just hear beneficial words and use them. It's kind of this idea that everybody's against me and I'm going to use that to fuel me. Nowhere in the Bible, Christian, are you called to operate that way. When words are said that are hurtful, you go to God and you ask God to help you with that and help you with how you interact with that. But you're not supposed to use those as fuel. You know what you use as fuel? Christian, you have everything you already need. You have the encouragement of a loving father. That's all you need to be encouraged to do whatever he's called you to do in this life. You don't need the negativity of this world to fuel you. In fact, I think that actually changes you in not a good way. 
If you live your life with a chip on your shoulder always, the child of God should not live their life with a chip on their shoulder. You are loved by God, the one who created everything. Who cares what man says about you? Don't let it be the thing that discourages you, but also don't let it be the thing that fuels you. Let the love of God be the thing that fuels you as you go forward. So last, um, oh, as a computer science major growing uh, when I was in college, there's this phrase, and uh, you may have heard this, garbage in, garbage out. In other words, if you program and your code is garbage, don't be surprised if the program runs like garbage. And so garbage in, garbage out. But what I'm looking at, and I saw this passage in here, it was like for me, Jesus was saying, if you see garbage coming out of you, it's because there's already garbage within you. If you, and we're called to actually examine our speech. We should look at how we talk. If you talk a specific way here at church, but yet you would be unrecognizable if you were out in the world by how you talked, then you have a duplicitous nature. You're a chameleon. And you have to stop that. Pick one side or the other. Let your true color show. Don't play this game, well, I want to be socially acceptable wherever I go and be fake everywhere. Be real. Be real with where you are. Your words reveal your heart. You remember that well that I was telling you about? Think about the bucket that comes up as being the mouth. Well, what's in the well? Well, what's in the well is whatever comes up in the bucket. And in that, what's the, what's down in the well? The well, consider that your heart. Oh, I don't really know what's in my heart. Who can know your heart? Just listen to how you talk. Listen to how you talk to people. Listen to how you talk to God. Listen to yourself speaking, and that will tell you what's in the well of your heart. Your innermost being will leak out through your mouth. And so Jesus gives us a tool to be able to examine something that no medical tool can look at, our heart, on a spiritual level. You know, Jim, you were pretty strong last Sunday. You know, you said that uh, you should probably, you know, your opinion doesn't matter that much. Let me say this. Your opinion, my opinion, doesn't matter as much as the gospel. I will hold to that till I'm dead. My opinion does not matter as much as the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that being said, are there times that we should speak? Of course there are. Of course there are. Okay, now I'm confused. How do I know the difference? That, my friends, that is called wisdom. And only God can give that to you. There's a time when we should speak. And when we speak, we should speak very clearly and we should speak addressing whatever the issue is. And we should speak considering the person who's listening so that they might receive what we're saying. And then there are times where God's just like, zip it. It's better that you not say something at this moment. How do I know the difference? You ask God for the wisdom to know situation by situation and person by person. But if you're ever wondering, like, you know, I just want a guideline for how I should be talking. Okay, look at this verse, Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29. And we'll actually look at this one and break it down just a little bit. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There is a verse to live our lives by. In the way that you talk, we should let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. You know, if your speech resembles the person that you were before you became a Christian, it's, it really hasn't changed much. Uh, it shouldn't be that way. Let me just tell you, there should be a change in how you speak. Does that happen instantaneously from when we become a Christian? No, we're all a work in progress, but there should be progress. There should be progress. When I was growing up in New York, I was still in a generation that if, I don't know, if I was a foul mouth, I would have strangers be like, son, watch your mouth. Those days don't exist and I know part of it could be me being like an old man on a porch going, get off of my lawn. But, but, you know, I just think the vulgarity in our society is worse now than it was when I was a kid. I don't think that that's just um, my feelings. I think it actually is that way. Like the vulgarity of our world, it's used so commonly. It just is it's st- it just stinks. And for those kids that are raised up, oh, well, parenting doesn't really matter. Oh, it really does matter. 
for kids to then model their parents in certain ways and then just have friends and model their friends and want to be cool and want to talk. I was there. I remember that. I remember being that kid in high school, but I remember being a Christian and I had this battle within me. I wanted to say certain things just to throw a certain vulgarity here or there, a cuss word here or there to just, you know, add a little flavor. I wasn't adding flavor. I was adding dung to my speech. I wasn't adding impact. I'm going to say this word because it'll really catch people's attention. It didn't bless the hearer. And for me, I realized, Jim, you got to pick. You can't be on both sides of this. You have to pick how you speak. And the way you speak has to be consistent. And I just thought, well, I'm not that person anymore. I'm not that person that... And I wasn't a big cusser to begin with. But man, when I started, it was only for this reason. Because I wanted to fit in with the friends that I had in high school. And I had to make a choice halfway through high school. I just had to go, you know what? I'm not that guy. And then some friends would be like, man, you're like Mr. Clean. Like, you never cuss? I'm like, I don't see a point to it. Why? Why? What is the benefit of cussing? Why? And they're like, what? Uh, what uh? Yeah. All right. There. So I haven't regretted it in my life. <laughs> you know, now as, you know, being 44, I'm not like, man, I wish I cussed more in life. I really did. <laughs> Nobody says that. Nobody says that. So why do you do it? Why? You shouldn't. Let no corrupting talk come out of our mouths. And that word corrupting is putrid, corrupt, and rotten. I was tempted to show you a looping video of a sewer pipe, you know, just with some like sludgy brown water flowing out, just to kind of make my point. But I think that mental picture just made its point. So we'll just leave it for that. Do you realize that that's what, when Paul is writing to the Ephesians there, that's what he's saying. Don't let some putrid stuff flow out of your mouth. Don't do that. But what should come out of our mouth? Only such as is good for building up. If we could put that verse up one more time, Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up. Some of your Bibles will say edifying. That's where we get the word edifice from, a building. So the words we should use with everyone, everyone should be words that encourage and build up a person, reveal truth to them. And then it goes on, as fits the occasion, as fits the occasion. I heard someone say this and I've never forgotten this phrase, don't be a clown at a funeral. What does it mean? If you saw a clown at a funeral, you'd go, that's inappropriate. Don't be the inappropriate person with your speech. Think about the situation you're in and use speech that is appropriate for your situation. And sometimes the appropriate speech in the situation is to not say anything. But again, that's wisdom that comes from God. It's case by case. And then it ends with that it may give grace to those who hear. Wow. Grace. Grace has been given to us by God and God says, I want you to be a distributor of my grace to everyone by how you speak. Look at these verses here. They're going to kind of come pretty quick, one after the other, but, but look at how powerful our mouths are and the words we speak. Uh, Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it, its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. For a person who is without hope and they're on a trajectory that could end their life, how many people have been stopped by just somebody just recognizing them and going, hi. And it's just for that person to go, somebody just recognized me. They don't even know me. They said hi to me. Hi, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm not so great. You know, just this acknowledgement, maybe an encouragement, maybe somebody is messed up and they're at the bottom of the barrel right now and they're expecting the world to just trample on them as the world has already done. And you show up and you speak a word of life. It's like CPR to a person who's flatlined. And they come back to life and it's the power of your words. Here's another verse, Proverbs 18.4. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. There's your well. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It springs out. Colossians 4, 6. Here's another one. Let your speech always be gracious, full of grace, seasoned with salt. In other words, your word should have flavor. That's not, we're talking, not talking about cussing. Cussing is not flavor. Cussing is poison. Seasoned with salt. It adds flavor, but it also causes people to be thirsty for the truth as you speak. 
so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. It's great when you don't know how to answer somebody. Here's how you start. Start by being gracious towards them and being salty, not salty in the worldly word of being salty, but salty in the sense of, again, adding flavor and causing people to be thirsty for the truth. What if I use it the wrong way? Proverbs 12, 18. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I don't want to be a person taking a sword and running a sword through people with my mouth. I don't want to do that with my wife. I don't want to do that with my children. I don't want to do that with the folks at the church. You know, we're accountable to the Lord for our words. Every single one of us will be accountable to the Lord for our words. And um, every word we speak, you know, we don't want to use words carelessly. We don't want to use them um, just go, oh, my words don't matter. You really want to think about your words. You know, words are so important. In Romans 10 verses 9 through 9 and 10, Romans 10 verses 9 and 10, look what this says about words. For you to receive Christ, it involves you acknowledging it. And if we look at these first two verses here, because if you confess with your mouth, whoa, there's some speech involved? Yes. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved? No, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth, if we can go back one more, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. The mouth is very important in so many ways, but when it comes to salvation, the mouth is very important. There's an acknowledgement that we are called to make. Well, I, I believe, you know, I, I, I really love Jesus. It's in my heart. Well, then say it. Because if it's in your heart, it shouldn't be very hard for that to overflow out of your mouth. Ah, oh, yeah, I don't want to say it. Is it in your heart? I'm not here to tell you what's in your heart. I'm just saying that if it's in your heart, it's only a matter of time before your love for Jesus overflows out of your mouth. I just love God with all of my heart. Well, then that should show up in how you speak with people. But if it doesn't, then maybe God's trying to tell you something that you need to know that you may be wrong on, that God, I need to help me, Lord. Help me with my heart. Help me with what's going on. Our speech reveals who we are. Our speech reveals what we are. Our speech reveals where we're going. It reveals who we are, what we are, and where we're going. So these numbers, I don't know how a person can you know, come up with these exact figures, so let's just use them as rough figures here. That for the average person, and I know men and women and each individual person will have different numbers of words that they use every day, okay? Let's just say this as rough numbers here. That for a person, in one week of their life, they end up having 500 pages of words spoken. The average person, 500 pages of words. In one year, that means there's 26,000 pages of words. That means in a 70-year life, that's 1.8 million pages of words that you have spoken in your life. Think about those words. And now here's the thing. Some people will speak more and some will speak less, so we'll just all average it all out, all right? But even for those people that don't speak much, don't think that you don't actually have volumes and volumes and volumes of words that you have spoken in your life. And with all of those volumes and volumes and volumes of words, God says that our words will be examined. Our words will be examined. Could you imagine that? Here's a, a um, if you look at verse number, uh, it's actually in the section that we're looking at, Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified or by your words, you'll be condemned. And you look at that and you just say, that is a huge statement. How many words? Every word. Every careless word. I shudder to think about the volumes of careless words that I've spoken in my life. Volumes. This is why there's a person that's like, I don't need God, I'm good enough. Okay, you, you are? Because God has an amazing recording device. He's recorded every single spoken word you have ever said in your life. And at the end of your life, there'll be an examination of your words. Which words? My highlights? Every one of your words. Every one of your words, 1.8 million pages of words. 
And I think even the, the strongest person who would just go, I don't need God, would absolutely crumble at the face of the reality of who they are. And see, the thing is, wait, Jim, hold on. How can anyone stand then? Very good. You get it. No one can. No one can. That's why this lie of, well, I'm going to be right before God by what I do and what I say. Oh, really? Well, God could, was, will hold you on that to everything you've ever said in your life, to those hurtful things that you've said to people. And it will reveal your heart. And for every human being, they will understand, God, I am wrong before you. I, in and of myself, can't do this. Well, what hope is there then? The hope is the gospel. The hope is Jesus who comes and says, I have forgiven them. I have taken the place so that they can be forgiven by you. So that all of our sins, all of those hurtful words that we've spoken, all of the, the eternal consequence has been put upon Jesus Christ. See, it's not that you and I will be before God and we'll be like, yeah, we lived a pretty good life, us Christians. No, we will go, God, if it wasn't for the love of Jesus. And if you, if you, if you know Jesus, wait till it goes through the words that you and I have spoken and you just realize, oh, Jesus, you forgave me for that and for that. And for that, oh, I forgot I said, that's right, I did say that. And that, and that, and that. And for the non-believer, I didn't ask Jesus to forgive me for that, and that, and that, and that, and that. God gives us a way to be right with him, and it's not by the purity of our speech. It's by the purity of his son, Jesus Christ. And so, as we, you know, are kind of wrapping up this message, you know, there's about five more minutes here, so don't, don't shut your mind or your heart just yet, but please listen to this. What's something that you can do as, as you're hearing this message? Here's something you can do. You should listen to your own speech. Like, you should honestly listen to how you talk. You should make a point of listening to the words you use and how you speak to people. Because your words will tell you about your heart. And... You know, then you may want to jump right to, well, I'm just, then I'm going to change how I speak. Be careful. That's a very dangerous thing to do. I don't understand. Because you may just be masquerading fruit and not actually changing the tree. Oh, well, you know, I've got these apples on my tree, but, you know, I got these lemons on my tree, but I want them to be apples. Well, I'll just put these little red construction paper around my lemons and there. That's kind of what it's like when a person tries to change their speech. You're just changing the window dressing. You're not actually changing the heart issue because you and I can't change the heart. So when you listen to this message, it should encourage you to listen to your own speech, but you can't change your own speech with your with your own strength. You can't do it. If you're a non-believer here, if you're non-Christian, you're kind of listening, what's this Christianity all about? And you're kind of just want to get a feel for it. I really appreciate, we appreciate you being here. But I want to encourage you, don't try to change your speech. Because you may have this external effect like, hey, I did it. It's just, it's not real. And the Bible tells us in the book of James how hard it is for a person to change their speech. James chapter 3, verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. For every kind of beast, um, uh, if we can go back two verses if possible. There we go, thank you. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. I'm going to change the way I speak. Maybe on the external, but you'll never truly do it. You can't. You can not tame your tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And then it goes on. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. We sing praise songs. We pray. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Our words matter. And so if you're not a believer, I have to tell you this. You don't have the ability to change your speech in a meaningful, eternal way. Because your speech is tied into your heart. And only God can change your heart. Christian, if you're like, well, I've asked Jesus into my heart, but my speech, there's still every once and again, it's like, yeah, fresh water, fresh water, sewage. You don't want to be drinking at that fountain, right? 
Seriously, if you were at a fountain and you just didn't know like what was going to come out and it would just change every once and again, that's how it is with some Christians as they speak. They speak and they speak. It's, ah, oh, it's refreshing. That's refreshing. That Oh, whoa, what was that? What was that? We don't want to be that way, but we can't fix that. We need to ask God to work on our hearts from the inside out. And so for that, I want to take you to an Old Testament passage that you'll see on the screen here. There was a man who had an amazing revelation of who God is. His name is Isaiah. And Isaiah, when he saw God in his glory, Isaiah had a response. And here's what Isaiah said after he saw God in his glory, something that I have not seen. And I said, Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am lost. And then look at the thing that he says. One of the first things he says, for I am a man of unclean lips. When he was in the presence of almighty God, you know, one of the first things he realized is how unclean his lips are. And that's why I'm saying, listen to your speech, because as you listen to it and you read God's word, you will realize, God, I have not arrived. I am not there. And well, for Isaiah, does that mean that all hope was lost for him? No, he says, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. And then he goes on, and then it goes on here. And one of the seraphim, angels, flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with this burning coal and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You know what that picture is right there? That coal was taken for the altar. What was the altar used for? The altars where animals were sacrificed for the sins of the people. And so the blood of those sacrifices would drip down through the grates and onto these burning coals. And so that coal had the blood of the sacrifice that paid for sin. And in this picture here, an angel brings this burning coal and touches Isaiah's lips and says, your speech, your guilt has been taken away. By what? By charcoal? No, by the blood of the sacrifice. This is an Old Testament picture of the fact that Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, died for you so that you don't have to live with this heavy shame and guilt about how you've spoken. You have now been, your guilt is taken away because of what Jesus did. His blood has touched the coals on the altar. And like with Isaiah here, as you ask God to change your heart, God will change your heart. And as your heart is changed, your speech will change. That is the correct order of having your speech be purified. But that only applies to a believer. You have to submit to the God who can change your heart for your heart to be changed. There's something broken inside of all of us that needs to be fixed. And the fix for a bad heart is a new heart. And God wants to give that to you. Our worship team is going to come up. And as they come up, I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to give you an opportunity to ask God to be your king and to change you from the most important direction, from the inside out. Not just changing the externals, not just changing how you speak or how you look, but changing you in the deepest part of who you are. You cannot do it. Only God can. Will you allow God to change your heart? Will you humble yourself to let him do that? He desires for you to be a new creation in him. If that's where you find yourself this morning, whether you're here physically with us, or you're listening on the radio or the internet, you can speak these words to God. He's, he's listening to you. He's always been listening to you. God, I am a person of unclean lips, which shows my unclean heart. God, my fruit is not good. Therefore, my heart is not good. God, I can't do this. I want my speech to be different, but I cannot change it. I want my heart to be different, but I cannot change it. God, please change my heart. Jesus, I believe who you said you are that you are the Son of God 
who came to this earth to speak the truth and to die on a cross for me. Jesus, I don't know all the details of Christianity, but I believe I need you and I'm asking you to be my Savior. Jesus, forgive me of all of my sins. Everything I have done that's wrong to you and others and everything that I've said in my whole life to you and to others. Jesus, thank you that you're willing to forgive me of so much. I receive you, Jesus, as my Savior. Thank you for making me a Christian. Help me to continue to walk in your ways all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're here physically with us and you prayed that prayer, there'll be a group of us over here. We'd love for you to come up. If you'd like some prayer, we'd love to pray with you about anything. But if you ask Jesus into your heart this morning, please take a moment and do that. If you're listening on the radio or the internet, um, you'll be given a phone number that you can call and you'll be able to talk to somebody here at the church. They'd love to encourage you and pray with you. Church, some really practical things here as you go out into this world. In a vulgar world that we live in, in a denigrating world that we live in, there's some real practical things that you and I can do. We can ask God to give us eyes to see the opportunities to speak into people's lives right around us. We should speak life into the people that are around us. Whether it's the most casual of conversations, somebody that's serving you at a restaurant or somebody across the counter as you're making a purchase or at the supermarket, you speak life. You be encouraging. They got a name tag. It's there for a reason. They have a name. Use it. Look them in the eye. Acknowledge that they're a real person. And that thing that you say, you may think, that's ah, just a passing thing. What could it do? That may be something that they have so desperately needed all day long. And you've just given them a word of life and a blessing. Don't hold back your praise of other people. Maybe you didn't experience growing up. And so unknowingly or unconsciously, you do that to other people. They do a good job. You don't tell them they do a good job. They should just know it. I'll tell them when they do something wrong. But no, nah, when they do something good, they should just know it. That's not God's way. Your thinking is off. Be a person who encourages. Be a person who blesses people. God put people in front of you so that you could speak life into them. If the eyes are the windows of the soul, then the tongue is the overflow of our heart.